Alright, episode 99. Five, four, three, two. everybody welcome back to episode 99 of the noel castler podcast i'm playing the theme song of my man jimmy what do you think of the no. music jimmy <laughs> no bringing the funk today i like it brother nice nice uh nice intro for me it's good to be seen <laughs> jimmy's on his way to vegas so that was his uh yeah. his theme music i made for him that's coming guess- up next month Right on. You guys didn't didn't know I made beats in my spare time, but I do. Exactly. So how you doing, Jimmy? Welcome back to the show, episode ninety nine. I'm doing well, buddy. Doing more of uh, more of the same since you all last saw me. Still doing the podcast thing, uh, interviewing different friends of mine and people that I find compelling. Uh, that I find normally on Twitter, but uh, a lot has happened, including the dismantling of Twitter and uh, and Trump being indicted. I mean, good Lord, there's there's a lot of monumental stuff that has happened in my absence. Yeah, you've been it's missed. Been- you've been missed, brother. And, and you know, I'm, I'm the producer now solely, so last week I apologized. The audio wasn't on for the guitar segment opening. There's a little thing I need to switch, original sound for musicians, and it's like, I hit it six times in a row and then didn't start <laughs> recording for one reason or another, and then the... The, the take I went on ended up, you know, without the music working. So my apologies. I'll bring the Takamini back next week for the folks or maybe at the end. But uh, so, yeah, that's my beats. I'm making beats for Jimmy. MPC beats. Exactly. So, you know, I, I know you still listen to the podcast, Jimmy. It's the same it always was. It's me kind of talking and ranting for an hour on the political scene. But it's interesting that you bring up Twitter because... Twitter was never, you know, a bastion of mental health, right? It, it was always a toxic environment, you know, and, and especially for me as a user, you know, and it was like a, a necessary evil and it was a great way to connect with people. It's where you and I met, right? You asked me to be on your podcast. I didn't know you from Adam. That's right. And uh, I did your podcast and then you became, you know, my co-host and, and, and consigliere on this show. But... um you know, it's obviously degraded. You you mentioned Musk's takeover, which I said from the beginning was about destroying it, right? It's a left-wing news information site at best, you know, and it was a very effective tool to disseminate information during the last election. And I think the biggest difference after 2020, you know, was Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And when that began a year ago, you may remember, you would hear about it all day long on Twitter. I had to mute accounts because it was too graphic, the war crimes and all this kind of stuff. I wanted to, you know, remain informed, but it would break my heart. And that's all but disappeared from Twitter. And and I think that was his idea, you know, like this is an effective tool. We need to dismantle it. You know, and Elon's a chaos agent. He's a narcissistic, you know, moron, essentially. He's not a moron, but he takes credit for other people's ideas. He's not the great tech genius savant that he paints himself to be. You know, that's that's because he can hire publicists and he got a bunch of bro followers on Twitter who think he's the savior because he's going to sell them Dogecoin and get them out of mom's basement, right? You know, but in reality, he lied about his PhD candidacy. He lied about his credentials. 
he bought Twit Tesla from some Tesla from somebody else. You know, another couple of guys came up with a company. He made his money off of PayPal. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even a tech thing. And his daddy, <clears throat> pardon me, owned Emerald Mines in Zambia. So, you know, he's a punk. He's like Trump. He's he's born on third base. I talked about it in my Substack this week. And and, right. and guys like that, they don't even so much care about money, right? Because they lose more money than most people have ever, you know, will ever make, right? Trump lost more money in his life than most people will ever see. And he, and he, he made it again and he lost it. I try to tell people, it, it, after a while, it's not about the money. That's a number on a page, right? It's about the power and the ability to disrupt. And that's clearly what's motivating a guy like Elon. Because if you cared about money, Elon, <laughs> if, you, if you cared about money, you know, you'd allow your advisors to place some restraints on you. And you'd say, I'm going to hang back here and, and let the board do their job and, you know, go hang out on a mega yacht, <laughs> you know, or, or better yet, try to solve some of the problems that this world faces and climate change and hunger and, you know, that you pick a poison, right? There's <laughs> right, a yeah. lot of things you can put your money towards in this day and age. It'll make a big difference. But what does Elon choose to do? You know, he spends $44 billion dollars on a social media platform whose value was mostly to journalists and people who wanted to follow them and he destroyed it. So, yeah. you know, how has your life been since that's, ha that's happened? Well, you know, one moment that really kind of, uh, I go back to with Elon, uh, that spoke volumes to me kind of where society is at, is at the Super Bowl when he was with Rupert Murdoch in the press box and, and they're kind of overseeing the commoners, you know, it was sort of like seeing, Roman times, but in a in a modern sense, you know that all of these common people are in a, are in a big stadium, while the rich are overlooking them uh, and seeing the gladiators <laughs> play it out on the field. You know the NFL draft was just last night. Uh, the Colts have a new quarterback facing their franchise, and uh, the city the city is really excited. But that was a really stark image to see Elon and Rupert just kind of ruling the world atop in their press box, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and he did the same thing at the World Cup, if you remember. He was there in Doha in a box with a bunch of like Emirates or whatever, you know, a bunch of shakes, you know, that have all the money in the world. I don't think MBS himself was there, but he flew over in a private jet. Same thing to, you know, to lord himself over the commoners, you know, and they killed people to build that stadium. That thing never should have been there in the first place. But uh, money talks, right? And the human capital gets ground up. And that's what Elon's about. You know, like people are going to get hurt because of what he's doing on Twitter, taking away people's, you know, the official verifications of government. Somebody just pretended to be a Sudanese general, you know, or official from the Sudanese army the other over the weekend and said that this, you know, general had been assassinated when he hadn't, but they're in a war with Saudi Arabia right now. And Saudi Arabia loaned Elon the money to buy Twitter. So this stuff is all connected, right? The, the global sort of oligarchs want to protect, you know, the, the free flowing transfer of wealth on a global plain right you know that, that putin had all the money and corruption that happens in russia gets funneled out of there right you can't enjoy it in russia you can have a daca you know what i mean in a place in moscow but it's not where you want to hang you want to be in london you want to be in the south of france you want to be in palm beach and miami and stuff or new york city most of the high-end real estate in new york city is bought up by russians now and that's how 
Trump got his start with selling condos for all cash through LLCs to crooked Russian guys that were fleeing there in the early 90s and, and late 80s, even before the Soviet Union co collapsed, the corruption was endemic. So the guys, you know, in charge of all the aluminum and all the oil and, and all the different infrastructure stuff were the only ones that were making any money under communism, obviously, because they were corrupt, you know. And when it finally failed, they were like, shit, we got to get the money out of here, you know. And Trump was all too happy to help him. He was a stooge, you know. He what? And, and, and I make that parallel because Elon's the same guy. He's not the kind of guy or has the same personality, rather. He's not the kind of guy who's going to game this out and be like, wait a minute. You know, if I take these people's money and, and, and I, you know, and, and I don't do the right thing, how's that going to affect my fellow Americans and their lives? Because this country has been good to Elon Musk. <laughs> you know, he wasn't born here, but... SpaceX is subsidized by the federal government, even though it's destroying Boca Chica, which is one of the most unique sort of wetland areas in all the world and completely irreplaceable. And he just dumped, you know, a bunch of debris and concrete and pieces of rocket all over the infrastructure, you know, for miles, you know, just last Friday and then tried, tried to pretend it was, a, it was a success, right? So, you know, a guy like that doesn't care about the consequences of his own greed and his own hunger for power. And history, time and time again, is filled with characters like that. And it, and it never works out well for the people. And the sooner they realize it, the better. You know, the sooner you realize what's motivating these guys and, and find a way to sort of cut them off at the source. The, the problem is media gets into it. And I'll lump myself in with that. I can't not comment on it. You know, I can't not sort of be on Twitter, even though I swore it off last week and then he took everyone's <laughs> blue checks away and I was like, I got to see this. <laughs> I got to see this, how, how this plays out, you know? Yeah. So I came back on and I got sucked in, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's an energy suck. It's about your anger. It's feeding off of your pain body, so to speak. I don't think, yeah. did you ever read Eckhart Tolle? Uh, no, but you've told me about it on this show. Yeah. And, well, um, you know, again, just like, uh, my Vegas trip, relating it back to that, uh, there was a documentary down on Netflix about social media, and one of the tactics they use, uh, similar to a slot machine, when you pull it, you know, when when you refresh the page on Twitter, it's the same kind of uh, addictive behavior. So you know, those those same kind of things are applied uh, into technology, and I don't know if y'all have seen Black Mirror, but. Uh, Technology is starting to get a little crazy with AI and, and different things. So right. we, we might want to uh, keep it under control. Did you say black mirror or black mirror? Mirror. <laughs> mirror, like the yeah. thing you look in? Yeah. <laughs> you put that Indiana on it. <laughs> they're, relating, uh, they're relating it to like looking in your phone. Yeah. Right on. No, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Who's in it? Is the guy from uh, Breaking Bad in it? No, I, I believe uh, it's a, like a British show. Uh, oh, okay. Produced, but it's it talks about like the dangers of technology, um, sort of similar to Twilight Zone, but having to do with modern technology. Right on. You should watch a hundred foot wave. It's a documentary on HBO. They had one season, and the second season just started. It's insane. It's these guys who surf hundred foot waves over in Nazare, <laughs> which is a part of Portugal, and it's like a fishing village, and it has this really unique you know, underground shape to the ocean floor there. So these waves come barreling in across the Atlantic and they just like get huge when they come into this village and they get a hundred feet. 
And nobody had ever, you know, would go anywhere near the water <laughs> for centuries, right? Looking at this wave. And then this guy named uh, McNamara, when, his last name's McNamara, Connor or something. I can't remember his first name. He's like a surfer, you know, like a surfer name. <laughs> and he right. went over there, a big wave surfer. He's like my age. And he, and, he, and he conquered this wave, essentially. And now everybody comes from all over the world to surf it every October. It's crazy. <laughs> you know me, bro. Like I, I have a tough time uh, keeping balance on flatland. <laughs> so, the, so the idea of me surfing, uh, probably not the best thing. Plus, like if it's a hundred feet, is it similar to like a tsunami where the yeah, where it yeah. just drifts back and you're like, oh, no, God. yeah, that's a that's a tsunami, bro. A hundred yeah. foot wave yeah. is like you know, <laughs> if you were in a six foot wave, you'd be terrified, and so would I. You know, the, yeah. the waves that yeah. I've talked to you about in the past in Nantucket and the Hamptons get some big surf sometimes, you know, out of Ditch Plains. Nothing. You know, I don't think most people yeah. even watch these shows sort of realize how big the wave is uh, in relation to a human being. Like, you see the guy on it, but I, I think unless you're there, you can't really realize. <laughs> and I haven't been there in person, but I've spent a lot of time, you know, in a lot of waves on the East Coast. And, uh, and I'm not a surfer. I just go in there and body surf, you know, boogie board. But uh, I love uh, I love the sport, so I want to go over there and check it out. But, I, yeah. I did um, – by the way, I, I know that we talked about this, and I was naive enough to not watch it. I've been binging uh, Better Call Saul, man. It's ah, awesome. It's the best show ever made. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. It's the yeah, best it show ever in, made. Those in some gaps on Breaking Bad, too, where you understand that a little more. Absolutely. And I think it's even better than Breaking Bad, ultimately, and I love Breaking Bad. Like, Skinny Pete is my all-time favorite character. <laughs> that was one of his buddies who always wore the, wore the ski cap. And, yeah. and they had the episode when they're in the Sam Ash, getting the, like, road cases to, like, bring the <laughs> meth equipment, remember? And he starts yeah. playing, like, classical piano, like... Uh -huh. I thought that was one of the most sublime, cool things I'd ever seen. Mrs. Maisel's another great show. It's about to have another season if you've never seen that. Oh, yeah. I'll have to binge that. About, oh, uh, Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch eats up that show. She has a character that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Sophie Lennon is the name of the character. And uh, just relating it back to Better Call Saul, Bob Odenkirk, who uh, wrote um, the salesman uh, skit for uh, Chris Farley, like, to see him act, I mean, he's a really great actor, really powerful actor. And yeah. Chuck, his brother, <laughs> who had the, uh, you oh, know, yeah. he was allergic to electricity. Michael like McKeon, Michael McKeon, a legend, an absolute legend. Right. I oh, mean, Jane Lynch again, you know. If you've seen all the, like, Mighty Wind and all that kind of stuff, right? That, you uh, haven't? Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen that stuff, jump in. Christopher Guest, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a whole generation of, like, the greatest improv kind of actors and yeah. Bob Odenkirk is, is is like the next generation of that he and David Cross Mr. Show they're like right. legendary legendary guys David Cross follows me on Twitter which I'm completely proud of so does Jane and I'm not I'm not like name dropping it's just there's some people yeah. that you get like scared you're like oh my god I'm such a fan you know and I'll tell you a story I did uh, the comic relief in the 90s the last one they did in New York City at Radio City Music Hall, and this is when Robin Williams was obviously still alive, and Whoopi Goldberg, and uh, Billy Crystal, and stuff. And I was assigned to Bob and Odenkirk and David Cross. They were they still had like Mr. Show at the time, and they were performing improv, and they were trying to work it out in the lobby before it's a live show. You know, it's like a telethon, and they were trying to sort of work it out in this 
quiet part of the you know backstage area like lobby area that was closed to the public and i had to bring them stage right and like be forceful about it because my bosses are like get them back there right now and i was like they need five minutes and i was in between the two which often was the case my job i was like the middleman you know that's what i'm hired for so the talent <laughs> doesn't get pissed directly at the producers and the director there's a yeah. guy to sort of take the fall i'm that guy you know so they ended up both getting like completely pissed off at me you know which is just the worst because you love these guys and you have to kind of be a jerk or you know yeah. contentious you know relationship but anyway severe talent so Let's get back into the politics, though, because that's what they show up for, Jimmy. That's, that's what right. the people want to hear. They want to hear your take on things. And Indiana's been in the news a lot. Jimmy, for folks who don't know, Jimmy uh, is a young man who lives in Indiana. He's been interested in radio, broadcast journalism and stuff since he was a young man. He went to a prominent high school in Indiana. He had some of his own challenges that he overcome, you know, overcame in his schooling. And, uh, yeah. You know, he's sort of somebody who, who, who fights for inclusion, right? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I try to bring together everybody, you know, young and old, uh, different creeds of all different kinds. I, I grew up with cerebral palsy, uh, and my dad was a entertainer in Indianapolis for years, a uh, singer and musician. And uh, my mom also a published author, so, you know, I, I, was, I was born to pursue some kind of art at the end of the day, uh, and then have been involved with radio and TV now for over 10 years, uh, going back to high school. So I, I've had a better career than most people get. Uh, and uh, relating it back to Indiana, man, uh, we recently had the uh, NRA convention here. So, you know, so that <laughs> that's that's one convention that uh, Indianapolis is willing to take, which, which is pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was setting you up for, Jimmy. So you're a good side man, okay? Because yeah. that was the key I yeah. was switching to. Because it was in Indiana, yeah. and it wasn't just in Indiana. It was in Indiana beginning the day after, you know, a couple of states over, an 84-year-old guy shot a young black child who knocked on his door because he was trying to pick up his siblings in Kansas City, and he went to the wrong house. And instead of the way it's supposed to be in America, and it has been for, you know, decades where you'd say young man how may i help you you know like right. you shouldn't be scared just because a child is knocking on your door no matter what color their skin is you know right. that's just insane and there's always been racism but there hasn't been this kind of hysteria where people would just open the door and start firing you know right. so not in the modern age right there's obviously doors that young black men could never knock on in the south you know but this is kansas city and the guy's in a safe metropolitan area and stuff and so he knocks on this kid's door he gets shot twice you know i don't have to get into the details everybody knows him he has to go knock on three other doors before somebody even offers to help him and that person made him lie on the ground and put his hands up which is a in a clear indictment of whatever the hell that community is <laughs> you know that's a pretty freaking disgusting thing to you know to do in and of itself beyond the you know the horrific crime of attempted murder so this all happens and then the next morning this happens on a thursday the nra convention starts on a friday and your mm -hmm. boy mike pence is there you know <laughs> 
talking smack about the January 6th committee, you know, and and ginning up the crowd of idiots who are walking around the convention floor because they got a sales floor there, right? And I'm sure you saw the pictures of little kids picking up guns, little white children, right? You didn't see any black kids picking (laughs) up the guns, right? They don't welcome that there. But little white kids pointing guns at photographers. What's the first thing you learn about a gun? Yeah, don't point at other people. Yeah, Yeah. you don't point it at anybody, anywhere, you know? This is the place that's supposed to be the National Rifle Association, which started out as a hunting advocacy and sportsmanship. Riflemen, American Riflemen used to be there, you know, magazine. It ostensibly was about gun safety. It was always pretty fascist. And my uncle, Chris Kassler, made their corporate films in the 80s, and he made one with Charlton Heston when he became president and gave me a lifetime membership to the NRA. And my lesbian liberal mom lost her shit when American (laughs) riflemen would show up at our apartment mailbox every month, you know, and I had an orange NRA cap. And uh, obviously, I was never into the NRA, but my point is I remember it back then, and we're talking, you know, early 80s. And I was a Boy Scout too. And you would go to like archery and rifle practice and stuff like that. There was some sort of like pretense that this was about, you know, the American West and sportsmanship and, you know, and that's gone. These guys are selling assault rifles. 25% of all weapons sold in the United States right now are AR-15 type, you know, weapons. Things that were designed for the jungles of Southeast Asia because they could cut through a bunch of thick brush and still completely destroy a human body you know that that's what it was designed for to kill the most people in the easiest shortest amount of time that's that's literally what the gun was designed for and they're selling them there's 25 percent of the sales of these guns are now ar-15s before the you know assault rifle ban the original one that clinton signed into law it was like 1.3 percent Okay, so you got to think how staggering that is, and you got to think of the fact that there's already 400 million of these guns. So what's going to happen in 20 years? How many more old men who are going to shoot first and ask questions later are there going to be of my generation, right? Who's 52, you know, and a bunch of the Gen Xer dudes like me turned out to be total racists, <laughs> you know? All the guys I went to high school with, that parents were into Reagans and stuff, Reagan, most of those guys became MAGA. You know, they don't like to think of themselves that way, but they never escaped the suburban m- mentality of sort of white resentment, aggrievement that, that was so prominent in the working and middle class. You know, and and especially like the dudes who never left their hometown and you're in a state that's like your hometown, right? Like (laughs) Indiana is just, that's what Indiana is. Even if you go to Indianapolis, it's not some metropolis, you know, it's the whitest place on earth. They got a Weber restaurant, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like every kind of bread is white bread, you know, they don't even (laughs) have French bread in Indianapolis, right? Well, uh, I, I already mentioned, man, that uh, the NFL draft was last night, and the quarterback that we drafted has already resented this nickname, and he wants it to change. But the NFL draft was held in Kansas City, of all places, last night. And for the with the fourth overall pick, the Colts took Anthony Richardson. Uh, he played college football at the University of Florida uh, and wore number 15 uh, because of it was Tim Tebow's number. Oh my so god. His nickname is AR15. Oh no, no, no. Really? And yeah, uh, it has been for the past couple of seasons while he's Jesus. down in Florida. So, you know, to have that correlation 
drawback to the convention in Indianapolis. Plus, when I was your producer uh, during that first year stretch, there was a mass shooting at a FedEx, um, you know, st- uh, big corporation building. Right. A guy just started unloading uh, on people that were working a shift. You know, like people forget <laughs> about mass shootings because they happen so frequently, and that's. Well, yeah, we become we become numb to them. I didn't do this podcast for three weeks because the Nashville shooting happened the day I was going to do another one, and I was like, I can't do it. I don't want to rant at people, you know, or start crying. You know, for other listeners, Jimmy and I both cry on this podcast a lot, and I'll probably make him cry before the end of the show in a good way, right? We have the best bromance ever. Exactly. Seriously. But, uh, you know, I would cry because it's just, you know, I... I you know, all of these mass shootings are horrific, but obviously the ones that are babies in classrooms, you know, and I'm 20 minutes from, from you know, Sandy Hook as the crow flies and haven't gotten over that. And then you had Evaldi, we're coming up on the year anniversary of that, you know, and then you had this Nashville Covenant School thing. And, you know, this young baby ran to pull the fire alarm and was killed. One of the first victims of his shooting was a girl, a little girl who went to pull the fire alarm to warn her fellow classmates, to warn the other people in the school. I mean, if that doesn't break your heart, along with the picture, did you see the girl in the school bus, that famous photo that everybody saw? Yeah, yeah. You know, images like that, I was on my ass for three weeks. You know, I I just can't. And and, and they happened in rapid succession, right? You had the Louisville shooting the following week. You know, people get numb to it. You had the, you know, a, a sweet 16 party in New Orleans or something. So... The fact that one of the two political parties is still kissing ass at the NRA, right? Trump and DeSantis both spoke there, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a must stop. I'm, I don't think I can completely remember exactly if DeSantis spoke there, but I'm pretty sure he did. You know, I know Trump did. Right. You know, DeSantis, a guy who spoke in Israel last night, and they finally called him on the, in Jerusalem, and they called him on torturing Guantanamo Bay people, which you know I was telling you about like two years ago on this show when he was a Navy JAG. He was the guy, you know, who told him to force feed these inmates who were on a hunger strike. And one of the guys remembers seeing DeSantis laugh. You know, that's the guy who just signed permitless carry into Florida law that you can come July, anybody can buy any kind of gun and carry it in their pocket with no permit. I don't know how much time you spent in Florida, Jimmy, but that's not the place you want people walking around with more guns. There's already enough of them. And if there's ever a population of people you don't want anywhere near high caliber weapons, it's Floridians. You know, that's where people roll down to when they fail out in the rest of life, right? Not everybody, but that's a lot of who ends up in Florida. And I say that with love. I lived in Daytona Beach for a while. It's, you know, Florida's the kind of place you end up, you know, you don't voluntarily go there. And he's going to, I'm just being smart with you guys, but he's going to like, you know, he's going to get his ass kicked. You don't take on Disney and win, right? right? That just, that, that you ain't winning that fight. Well, I, I was going to say, man, one of the earliest joys that I can recall as, as a little kid was because my family lived down in Sanibel Island, uh, Florida. Beautiful. So, I used to go to Upper Captiva with my grandmother yeah. for her 75th birthday. We celebrated there. <laughs> yeah, man. I, but, you know, I can remember being really excited uh, going down to Disney World, getting to ride the teacups and <laughs> everything else. And, and the fact that that possibly could leave <laughs> the state of Florida and go somewhere else in my lifetime 
uh, you know, it's, it's going to be unusual telling my grandkids, hey, that, that used to be in a different place. Right. Well, it, it won't leave, Jimmy. I got news for you. It's 75,000 <laughs> no. jobs. You know what I mean? Well, and it's it's too it's hard to move all that stuff. I mean, you can't recreate all <laughs> yeah, that. You know, like good lord, they're not yeah. gonna. It's, it, yeah. it, you're not winning that fight. That's how yeah. that ends up, Jimmy. Right. Like he can, you know, somebody will take him out rather than let Disney leave right. Florida. I promise you that. And not that I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying he's not. Florida is not packing up and leaving. You know, they might not expand because they got something like $40 billion earmarked, right? Because they're constantly expanding and building new parks and stuff. But, you know, it's ridiculous. And, and you mentioned Sanibel. You know, that place is ruined now. Red Tide ruined it. Not to mention the latest storms and they can't get homeowner's insurance because it's too expensive because he caved to the insurance lobby. So he screwed all the people. He screwed the environment. He's not alone in screwing the environment. Rick Scott went a long way to like <laughs> making sure they didn't do anything to help. But the red tide was bad. Now they have a blob that's twice the size of the United States and it's heading right to Florida's west coast this summer. It's gonna hit in July. And it's this kind of seaweed that's always out there in the ocean, but with like warming climate and warming oceans, it, it, you know, it grows a lot bigger and becomes more intense. So it's gonna land on the shore and you can't breathe this stuff because it off gases calcium sulfide, which is like the smell of rotten eggs, right? So that's a, that's a, a, a disturbant to your lungs and stuff. So people end up having to go to the hospital because they can't breathe, you know? That's gonna hit the beaches of Florida in summertime. <laughs> so, you know, the amount of problems he's facing, he won't survive. His only way out is to pick, you know, is to let Trump pick him as VP. And apparently they're in conversations for that now. <laughs> You know, oh, and that boy. should terrify you because believe it or not, as weak as DeSantis has become recently, he'd be a strong, he, he would enhance that ticket. You know, that would be a strategically smart move for Trump. And I'm sure people are telling him that. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, yeah, how popular I, would DeSantis Trump be in your neck of the woods? Oh boy, a lot of yard signs would be going up in my neck of the woods. But like, uh, you know, did I ever tell you about my morning show that I did in college? No. One segment that I did was called Florida Man. And we would just we would find the most ridiculous stories coming out of the state of Florida. But with where we are now, like you could you could do a whole segment just dedicated to their politicians. I mean, who's between Rick Scott, uh, DeSantis, Trump, uh, Gates? I mean, God, the list goes on. Plenty of crazy people down there. Absolutely. And their secretary of, of health, you know, the Surgeon General, they just found out last week that he removed COVID data from the official report so he could lie to the people of Florida about the efficacy of vaccines. You know, he was with the anti-vax crowd. So he was lying to people about life and death matters and he was pretending to be a health official. He still is. The thing that gets me about Florida is that there's so much wealth there from, from the Northeast. You know, there's so many smart New Yorkers and people that end up there. I, I just, I, I wished that some of them had you know gotten together and said we're taking this dude out you know we got the money to start a pack or something that's gonna like shine a light on this guy and who he is and instead they let it fester in my experience they're kind of like hey the tax breaks are good i got mine you know i got the big mansion in palm beach or whatever like why am i gonna get into this fight meanwhile the guy's got literal nazis showing up at his rallies <laughs> and he's getting invited to speak in Jerusalem because Israel is so right-wing now, you know, has a, a right-wing crook, you know, Netanyahu as a president. And, you know, thankfully, Israel ain't playing that, right? That's a very well-educated, very sort of, you know, 
democracy, anti-fascism oriented people, notwithstanding what's going on, you know, obviously, you know, with Palestine and stuff, that's a whole different argument. We can't get into it there. And there's a lot of wrong on the Israeli side in terms of how the Palestinians are treated, obviously, you know, <laughs> but the people are taken to the streets and they're not standing for this Netanyahu BS. It looks like he's going to get away with it anyway, because there's not a whole lot they can do. We'll see how it plays out. He kicked the ball down the you know, kicked the ball down the field a little bit, so he bought himself some time. But essentially, he's trying to take over the judiciary, you know, because he's being indicted, because he's a criminal, and they're investigating him. And that's what we see here, right? That's what SCOTUS is. It just broke this morning that during Kavanaugh's confirmation, they got credible evidence, or not credible evidence, right? They had credible, credible evidence that he had assaulted another woman at Yale at a party, whipped out his Peter and, you know, put it in her face or something like that, right? And, and that was the thing that sort of, if you remember, that stopped the hearing, which was kind of going along not smoothly because you had Christine, ba Dr. Christine Blase Ford, who I completely believed, and I think anybody who listens to this show believed she was obviously telling the truth. Then you had these other women come forward and they were like, all right, stop the hearing. We're going to investigate this further. Right, And that was the weekend I tweeted about it this morning that Jeff Flake came up with his Democratic counterpart on the judiciary and they spoke at the Global Citizens Festival and like, we're going to get to the bottom of this, I promise you. And he got a big ovation. And meanwhile, I was backstage like BS. This is just show. This is an okie doke as they call it, right? You know, he's just trying to pretend like they're doing something about it. And sure enough, he went back to D.C. and they voted to confirm Kavanaugh, right? right. But it turns out that the, the sort of like evidence, you know, or excuse that Chuck Grassley, who was the chairman, tried to use in the confirmation, he got a letter from a dude who worked for Leonard Leo at the Federalist Society that said, I was at Yale at the same time, and it was this other dude who was known for flashing people in public, right? That other dude wasn't even in Yale at the time. He was still in high school, and he spoke to The Guardian and said it was complete BS, but it was good enough to put in the file you know, uh, put in the SCOTUS file for Brett Kavanaugh, and now he's got a lifetime and appoint appointment. An obvious alcoholic, and I'm not judging, I'm a recovering alcoholic myself, as you know, but a guy, a guy who's obviously still in the cups, as we say, you know, with a gambling addiction, with rage issues, just how he behaved at the confirmation. It's like, you're not a judge. You know, a judge is somebody you want unflappable. You want them measured, you know, you want them like, hey, I'm bringing my intellect and knowledge of the law into this situation, not my own personal ego and aggrievement and emotions, right? But the Koch brothers and all these guys bought up the judiciary, the Federalist Society, you know, we'll get into Harlan Crow and, you know, owning Clarence Thomas essentially, right? Which is a horrible thing to say, you know, about a person of color who should have been Everything in his life, given the prominence he had on the Supreme Court, should have been trying to make it a level playing field for the rest of Americans, especially minorities. And he let some white billionaire from Texas buy him for $500,000 vacations every year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And a greedy wife who likes money, obviously, in Ginny Thomas, you know, who tried to overthrow the election, right? You know, and Thomas ruled on cases that pertain to that already. So it's just... It's insane, and I'm trying to make the point that it's worldwide, Jimmy. That same corruption. You know, we talked about Twitter at the top of the show. It came out this week that Elon Musk acquiesced to a bunch of requests from, like, Turkey 
in all these authoritarian states, Hungary, Korea, North Korea, to, to remove things that they found objectionable, right? So he was censoring on behalf of authoritarian governments. Twitter, you know, changing the narrative, which is what I said he was doing for Putin, right? And Ukraine, he's trying to like help them control how and where we get our information and for people to not know what the truth is. You combine that with a corrupt judiciary right. like SCOTUS that's owned. Chief Justice Roberts this week in response to Dick Durbin saying we need to bring you guys before Congress and, or Senate and figure out what the hell's going on here. He said, no, we're not going to be accountable. We're not going to show up and talk to you. We don't have to. You know what I mean? Like, that's insane. They're like, we're a separate branch. Suck it. We know three of the guys were illeg illegitimately put on there. Gorsuch, who had his own scandal this week. Here, here, here's how it goes, Jimmy. We can't even keep up with the SCOTUS scandals in one week because it just came out that SCOTUS you know, Gorsuch rather, two weeks after he was seated on the, you know, on the bench, sold a piece of property in Colorado he'd been trying to unload for two years. You know, to, to Greenberg Traurig, a big law firm that had business before the court every day. One of the main law firms in the country that argues before the Supreme Court. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like, I know you probably yeah. didn't come here for a judiciary <laughs> rant today, Jimmy, but like, Bro, Amy Coney Barrett was from the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> She's from my state. And it, it, it's my understanding that she wasn't even a judge. She was sort of a professor. Right. Yeah, she never presided over a case. That's true. And I, I can remember in her confirmation hearing, she was real uh, full of herself and, and held up a notepad and was like, I'm not writing it, anything down as if that's a point of pride for, for a judge. Like, no, okay. Uh yeah, it's it's psychosis with the GOP in all forms. All the moving pieces are moving toward fascism, you know, and I, I thought things mattered. <laughs> when I was growing up, I thought there was honor and things that went beyond the bottom line, but it doesn't seem that way anymore. Well, there, there still is, Jimmy. You know, there's a lot of goodness in the world and there's a lot of good-hearted people that want to make a difference. And they're out there right now doing good in the world. They're not sitting on computers doing a podcast like we are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're helping people. They're working in homeless shelters and hospitals and soup kitchens and schools. Teachers sure. are heroes, you know, hospitals. But that being said, the people who control the money, there's no money in kindness and empathy, right? There's a lot of money in sort of, you know, ginning up dissent between people and hatred and caving into you know big big money corporate interest you know greed is the problem citizens united which was mitch mcconnell who refused to you know seat merrick garland obviously and that's why we got gorsuch and ultimately two other choices under trump's term right mm -hmm. and when trump was elected in the days after he was elected i'm talking november 2016 here leonard leo who's the head of the federalist society walked into trump tower's office i've told you this before handed him a list <laughs> with like yeah. 10 names on it and said you can pick any of these guys but here's the guys you get to choose for SCOTUSes. And three of those people are on there now with a lifetime appointment. Mm -hmm. You know, you got nine people deciding the fate of the free world, essentially. Because if America falls, it all goes. Right. Do you know what I mean? And, and we're, we're in charge of sort of defending ourselves. Nobody's going to come and liberate America. 
You know what I mean? This ain't France and stuff in World War II. People are like, nah, you're on your own. People don't even come to vacation in America anymore, right? Because you see images of old men walking around with guns and stuff, right? You know, and, and let me just make one more point. Gorsuch's mom was Ann Gorsuch. She was the first EPA administrator under Reagan, right? So she was appointed in 1981. She came in and gutted the EPA. She cut the budget by 22%, cut the Clean Air Act, which was in like 1963 or something. The Clean Air Act was put into law because they were poisoning us, poisoning us. After the Industrial Revolution, you know, there was no, you know, there was no safeguards or, or, or safety measures. Companies could put whatever crap they wanted in the sky. They still basically can, but imagine before there was any kind of rules, what a factory town looked like, right. you know, what Pittsburgh yeah. looked like. I mean, it would be nighttime during the day kind of thing, right? So the Clean Air Act was the first major environmental legislation in, in, in the modern era in the United States. She came in and gutted the thing. She sided with industry in every case and wanted small government, right? That, that was the ethos of Reagan and that whole kind of new genera generation of, of ideologues on the right. And they were funded by the Koch brothers, as I've talked about and written about. It's why I'm trying to like hammer this point home. Carter scared the hell out of them because Carter was like clean energy, solar power. We got to do something about this. And basically, the oil and gas industry, industry was like, this cannot catch on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we cannot have these guys work, you know? Have these guys get their way because it's going to put us out of business, right? So they found a cowboy, you know, who sounded good to middle America, <laughs> yeah. and he, he, he had a bunch of racist stuff in his campaign speeches, and he went to places like Indiana and talked like a good old American who was going to bring it back to how it was, you know, and then he got elected, and he sat in the White House and ate jelly beans while all these other cretins <laughs> that were hired by big business gutted our government, and that's what you're seeing the results of in your lifetime, Jimmy. Okay, because the myths were still there. You still stood up and pledged allegiance to the flag, and they still told you America was the greatest nation on earth in school every day and stuff. You know, and in some ways it is. I'm not hating on America. It has been a beacon of freedom for people all over the world, but we've never made good on our own character defects, right? We've never addressed, you know, reparations, which we should if we want to move forward. Most white people don't want to talk about that, right? But it's messed up, okay? You're taught that we built this country. No, you know? Enslaved people built this country. We took the profits and said, aren't we the great smart ones? Look at these documents we wrote. All people are created equal. Well, not you and, and not her, but, you know, we are rich white guys, you know? Yeah. So when you hear the Federalist Society, it's about getting back to that kind of situation where a few control the many and you hold down the many to the point that they'll never get a chance to catch up with you. That's why they gut education. That's why a guy like Ron DeSantis is attacking public education. You know, you're a product of, of exceptional public education. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know? we, my, my high school had a planetarium <laughs> to give you context. Like uh, it was I was spoiled beyond belief. And, you know, it, it blows my mind, man. I was born in 94, September of 94. Uh, the ADA uh, which gave rights to people with disabilities wasn't passed until 92, you know? So people with disabilities were just made human beings, equal human beings in the nineties. <laughs> like we're not the most progressive place in the world. We're moving toward a, a better hope, you know, eventually. But, um, that kind of gave me pause when you really think about it. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Think of civil rights. Think of the major civil rights legislation that didn't happen until like 1965. You know, yeah. I was born in 71. You're talking six years before I was born, you know, and, and, and it was never enacted in my lifetime. And then it finally started to get enacted. And, and back to the point of like Carter, you know, Carter was president during a time where there was a lot of fallout from the tumult of the 60s, right? The riots, you know, in neighborhoods that burned down after the assassina assassinations of Dr. King and two Kennedys and the war in Vietnam and all this stuff had just kind of like roiled America that it was a little burnt out. You know, cities were like New York was, was just in a really bad way and the federal government, you know, Ford told New York to screw off when we asked for money. You know, they're just like, screw you. So it became, you know, they turned their backs on the communities that should have been infused with cash and social services and help, right? Mm -hmm. Our country did. Nixon did. Ford did. You know, Carter came in. He's a compassionate guy. You know, he wants to set things straight and that freaked them out. Then you had, you know, Reagan, right? So Reagan just kind of did so much damage that we're still digging out for what Reagan did. You know, Reagan is the architect and not him himself because he wasn't that bright, but the guys behind him, you know, the, the Lee Atwaters who set the blueprint for GOP campaigns until this day, you know, which is just make like middle class and poorer white people resentful of minorities, <laughs> you know, like make them think that's their enemy. It's not your enemy. It's the guy in the boardroom that's your enemy. It's the corporate raider. You know, it's the guy who's buying judges and buying circuit court judges in your town and district judges. You know, that's your enemy. That's who's keeping you down on behalf of big business, right? But the jingoism and iconography that appeals to that demographic is psychologically very powerful. And that sort of, you know, reached its apex under Reagan. And then, you know, Bush was able to skate with it for a minute, but he was sort of like such a CIA corrupt guy, you know, and Iran Contra and all this kind of stuff folded on him and the economy had been tanking for a while. Then you had Clinton, you know, who bumped it back up again. And we went into a period of prosperity, but Clinton was also, you know, too strategic in his own ambitions besides his other obvious foibles, right? He was too much like, I want to be seen as a centrist. I'll sign a crime bill that, you know, incarcerated a generation of young black men, you know, and further punished and destroyed communities because he wanted to appeal to people in your district because he was doing well politically. He should have had the guts to say, no, this isn't the way we're going to do it, you know? But imagine if he wasn't taken down by the same corrupt Republicans, right? Ken Lay, Ken Starr rather, Ken Starr who investigated him, you know, for what he did, you know, with an intern in the White House, which was wrong any way you look at it, <laughs> you know? It was not a good thing that I'm defending in any way, but, you know, it was certain hypocrisy, right. you know, for Ken Starr to do that, who later was in his own scandal at Baylor University, you know, he sided with rapist football players who were attacking women and stuff. So, you know, none of this, my point being, none of this stuff is done out of some sense of morality. That's what they <laughs> pretend it to be. It's just a quest for power, you know? Yeah. And then, so then you had Bush, who was like the ultimate Bush W. Bush, right? Who was run by Dick Cheney. So it was the ultimate dark arts presidency and nobody knew what was going on because then you had 9-11 and so everybody was like, yeah, attack them, you know? Just kill people, you know? Like nobody, you know, 
not nobody, like a lot of people protested against invading Iraq, including myself, you know, who almost got trampled by a horse in New York City. And none of that stuff made the news because the mainstream media was like, we're not even playing this. You know, Giuliani is man of the year. We're going to war like that. That was the that was the ethos among corporate media America, period. Right. And we went to war and it was obviously a mistake. And at the same time, we were at war. Wall Street was selling these mortgages to people who couldn't afford them. And all of a sudden they were buying these houses and were under underwater. And it was a bubble. And a lot of bros were making cash out of it for a minute, you know, and then it all collapsed. Right. And then comes in Obama. You know, and when I worked like with, with a set of problems on his plate that most people would run away from, you know, I couldn't even understand why he wanted to be president. <laughs> America was in such yeah. bad shape. And I kind of like I was into yoga in 2008. I was touring or, you know, working a lot of shows and stuff. And I knew kind of Obama was going to win President Obama. So I sort of stayed out of the political fray in those years. You know, it was before social media got really big. And I remember when I worked on the inauguration, as I've talked about a lot, the backstage stuff, I remember seeing him for the first time with that feeling like, why does he want this job? Like, he must be terrified. Like, he's, you know, he's like, how is he going to succeed? You got two wars, right? You got an economy that's tanked. You have middle class folks losing their homes and losing their jobs. I mean, Wall Street guys I know were unemployed for a year. It was disaster, right? It was the Great Recession, they call it. I mean, it was bad. Right. So you're like, why would you want that gig? And the first time I observed him as a person, there was a like something in his manner, the way he carried himself. I was just like, oh, this guy's got this. Like, this is the dude that you're putting in the bottom of the ninth, three outs. There was something about the way he carried himself. And it wasn't like outright cockiness, cockiness, though he is a little cocky. He knows how he does, you know, like when he got that three-pointer and he's like, that's how I I do. do. Yeah, just I love that about him because he's a skilled, talented guy and he does that with humility and fun. You know, he can also sing. He's a great singer. He can he yeah. can crack on jokes. You know, he I love President Obama. You know, I love the guy. You know, he's a cool cat. I love him. But anyway, when I saw and and I was more or less unfamiliar with him. Obviously, I voted for him and followed his campaign and stuff. But I met the guy until the you know a couple days before the inauguration, that big concert on the mall, and I, I observed him and I was just like, oh, this guy's got it. Like that's the guy you want to put in right now. Because he's not scared, you know, and he's obviously supremely competent. Like he seemed like the man who was like, you know, able to, you know, right. arise in the moment. Like, and, and we were basically a nation that was shell-shocked and terrified at that point. We needed leadership. We needed somebody to stand up, you know, and, and carry our highest values forward. And he was a great example of doing that, a wonderful example. And he went in and did it. You know, and it pissed off conservative America to no end. And they said before he even took Congress, you know, took office, you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate was like, my job is going to be blocking everything he does. They didn't give him a chance. They said he's a black guy. We're not going to help him at all. And they didn't. And he still accomplished amazing things. And he did it with Biden, you know, as his VP. And Biden, a guy who, again, had his own, you know, political miscalculations earlier in his career. He was the chief guy behind that crime bill that I mentioned Clinton signed, right? But he can evolve. He knows that was a mistake now. And he got to serve, you know, 
not under Obama, but alongside Obama, but clearly understood, you know, it was like you're opening for the Beatles at that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he knew enough to sort of hang back and he was the rightful heir to sort of take on Trump in the way that he had that same sort of like unflappableness. I know he's kind of doddering and he, you know, messes up his words. He's, you know, he's like 80 years old. Like, that's fine. Okay. We'll get into that in a second. Right. Because you're not asking him to do, you know, he's not bringing in the corn at harvest time. Like there's people (laughs) who work in the White House. He's not carrying his own bags. Do you know what I'm saying? People act like it's it's the most powerful job in the world, like he's too old to do it. Like, what do you think he's doing? It's not the <laughs> Iron Man triathlon, okay? He's got people walking with him everywhere he goes. He's, he's you know, a, a full medical facility underneath the White House. Like, it's not, in a, and if he, God forbid, something happens, you've got Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Kamala. I always say it wrong. Kamala, I'm saying it right. You know, you got VP Harris ready to take over and people don't like that because her complexion isn't what their idea of a leader is, right? But anyway, so Biden is what you want in that moment because he's sort of unflappable because he had the same situation. Like Trump had shut down the world economy, essentially the whole world economy shut down. It was Trump tried to reopen it erroneously, like stupidly. You know, we should have been smarter obviously about how we handled COVID and and once Trump realized it wasn't in his best interest to do anything about it he was like open everything up don't wear a mask you know like you know he sort of egged on the anti-vaxxer anti-fauci movement he just made a mess of this country that was much worse than what Obama you know had and then what happens Biden walks in and in the last two years has created more jobs than any other American president okay after a global shutdown in 2020. Do you know what I mean? After zillions of companies going out of business, after a stimulus package that was passed under Trump that the PPP funds went to rich guys. Tom Brady is getting payouts. You know, Tom Brady didn't need any money. That was meant for people who couldn't feed their kids, you know, and couldn't make rent, right? But a bunch of like rich guys on both sides of the aisle. I know, mil- I know rock stars who got millions rock stars because they have lawyers and accountants that could apply and they got the money and nobody knew anybody was gonna nobody knew there would be no questions asked right so all of that fallout biden comes in kicks ass for two years as you know i got to go to the white house in october you know biden wasn't mowing the lawn right he wasn't doing physical labor Okay, he wasn't like, oh, this old man, how's he going to make it through the day? There's a lot of young, smart people that do the policy, right? I think of a president like a conductor. When you go to the symphony, the conductor's there. You know, Leonard Bernstein was conducting beautifully, and he died kind of young at 72, but he was essentially an old man, especially back then. You don't go to the symphony and say, why is that old man up there conducting? I need a 35-year-old, you know? A conductor makes sure all all the other, you know, the wind, the wind, woodwinds, you know, and the string sections and the brass sections and the, you know, percussion and all these guys are working in harmony with each other. And the conductor knows the score. This is what we're going to accomplish. You know, these are the crescendos we need to hit. This is the subtlety and nuance of each individual agency, right? Mm-hmm. that's what you want. You want somebody with that kind of experience, a big picture kind of guy. 
you know, who has the temperament to hear both sides of an argument and sign off on what he thinks is best on behalf of the American people. And I have every confidence that Biden is the guy to do that. And if you let Trump within 20 feet of the White House again, <laughs> you know, it'll never happen and it'll be game over for the U.S. And the other thing is, you know, like I get people saying he's old. He is old. But you really don't have a choice. It's not normal circumstances. You know, in a perfect world, you'd like him to be 50 years old, but he's not. <laughs> And it's too late to get somebody else in there. And Biden's already showed that he can do the job is the main thing. You know, if he had sucked for the last two years, I'd be the first one to say, get rid of him then. You know, or, or just have BP Harris run or something, have him retire. But he's not sucking. He's kicking ass. He's made some missteps. I hope he backtracks on the climate change stuff on opening up Willow Project. And, you know, you know I've, I've run afoul of some stuff, but I'm smart enough to realize I'm not going to let, you know, perfection be the enemy of the good. That's not saying I'm willing to sacrifice any part of the environment, but I know there's smart people that care deeply about the environment in the White House. Just as I know there's people that really understand there's no true recovery in America economically if it's not equitable. And I sat there for a day and they told me how these funds that were in like the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, the funds that were available to these other states, they had provisions like if you don't hire minority laborers, you don't, laborers, you know, and construction workers, you don't get the funding for that new bridge, right? So they were smart enough to see the big picture and put in fail safes and stop gaps that good old boys couldn't just take the largest from the federal government. You know, they're going to claim it came from them anyway, which is the hobby of GOP guys talking about all the money they brought into their state that they voted against when they were in Congress or the Senate, right? Mm -hmm. But it, so he knew that was going to happen, but he was politically savvy enough to know it wasn't just going to go to the good old boys alone. Do you know what I'm saying? That you were going to have to hire minorities and, and make sure all boats rise. And I've never seen an administration in my lifetime that was more aware of that, you know, that, that really was, you know, concerned with all of Americans and occlusion and, and all this kind of stuff. You know, most of my life politicians are like, I, what do I need the LBGTQ community for? You know, they don't vote for me. What do I need this or that? There's none of that, you know, with Biden. And, and, and when I went to the White House, the first kid who showed up was hip looking as hell. Dude had on vinyl, <laughs> heels man like 70s go-go boots right Why? he looked he looked like because that's what he was dressed like he looked like representative pearson from tennessee had a big fro nice suit on sharp shoes i was like oh it is on you know what i mean in a good way i was like this was the kid who greeted me at the visitor's tower i was like oh somebody's hip somebody's hip in that house do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Somebody's not cookie cutter. You know, Trump was hiring chicks from Ole Miss, little blonde girls, because that's what, it's true. That's what his, Ivanka likes, yeah. and she knows his dad likes. So her assistant went to Ole Miss and brought in like a lot of her friends to work there. And then her dad got appointed to be the prosecutor in their town in like Oxford, Mississippi or something. That was sort of my job with, uh, the, with the Colts during my internship there. I was a liaison for the media. So I would be the first person you would see if you were on the sideline uh, doing a game. And, you know, it was a great time being able to wear, wear a tie on the sideline and uh, network with everybody from the different uh, stations. But, you know, it, one thing that I can recall about Obama, he became president uh, when I was a freshman in high school. And he was the first president in my lifetime that would say, like, 
I, I need help here. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not knowledgeable in this area. And then he would appoint somebody that was and let them handle it. Like, there's no shame in admitting your faults. You know, like, you have to admit your weaknesses so that we can extenuate the strengths. You know, that's that's kind of my attitude when it comes to my disability, too. Good for you, man. It's about delegation, right? I was talking about big wave surfing at the top of the show, right? You don't surf a big wave without a team, okay? (laughs) Noel is not paddling out there by himself, right? A guy's (laughs) bringing you in a jet ski and a, a spotter is on land saying there's a set coming in, the middle wave is doable, right? And then a guy gets you into position toes you in, you let go, you surf the wave for a while, then you bail out and he comes and picks you up so you don't get pounded by the next wave that comes in. That takes a team. Big wave surfing takes a team. We're big wave surfing as a country right now, right? Because it's all on the line. We don't survive a big, another wipeout, right? Right. Right? A big hundred pound wave called authoritarianism is about to crash on the beaches. You know, we need a dude who knows how to ride it and pick a good team to make sure everybody's safe and everybody survives. Biden's your man on that. That's a good place to stop right now. But uh, let's ask Jimmy what he's going to do in Vegas. I'm worried about Vegas. Jimmy, what about you guys? (laughs) Well, we're uh, staying at Caesars. So, uh, you know, Steve Aoki is supposed to be there. Uh, Garth Brooks is supposed to be there while we're uh, here on the weekend. So nice. You know, there's going to be some live music. a lot of bad decisions will probably be made <laughs> during that time, but it, it'll be fun. I've never been to Vegas before. so Uh-oh, that's going to be crazy. Uh, Garth Brooks is a good guy. I've worked with him on, on a lot of shows. He's a very sweet guy. He was at that Obama show I was just talking to you about. Oh, really? that. Yeah, he played cool. that day. Yeah. And he came up to me and he goes, how's your girl? Um, and I was like, uh, okay. He, he goes, uh, <laughs> how old is she now? I said like 34. He goes, Oh, I meant like your kid. I thought you had a kid. I was like, no, like nope. he mistook he mistook me for somebody else, but I hadn't seen him since the nineties when he was I did a show with him when he was an alternate character. Do you remember when he was like a, an Australian rock star? No. I, I, I was born in the nineties, so I was oh, probably shit. too young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he was uh, that one. He had a like a, an alter ego. He was trying to be a rock star, and he had a goatee and everything, and black hair. It was pretty. It was pretty crazy, like a wig. It was. It was a ballsy move. It didn't work out, and he bailed on it quick. But uh, now he's I'm married gonna, to a musician, isn't she's he? She's the best. Yeah, she's the best. Trisha Yearwood, and yeah. you know he'd show up. I used to do a thing every year for like Toys R Us, like a, a, a corporate event and uh for charity and stuff and and he one time was the guest the musical artist so was trisha and they flew in their private jet from oklahoma where they lived at the time on their own dime to do this and then flew back so they could be there for their kids when they woke up in the morning you know wow so he's a solid dude he's a solid dude hang out one second everybody thank you for tuning in that was episode 99 of the noel kassler podcast i had to bring out this guitar again because the sound didn't work last week this is a 98 takamini jimmy there you go coming in beautifully it's a beautiful guitar it's made out of koa which is hawaiian wood is it was a one of a well one of 250 my dad would dig that one it's cool looking right 
I wrote all kinds of songs in the 90s on this guitar. I used to write protest songs about like the war in Kosovo and stuff. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> really, yeah, really modeling stuff. I'll play you some songs sometimes. Um, anyway, so thanks for listening, folks. It's good to see Jimmy again, isn't it? Everybody say hi and bye to Jimmy. Hopefully he makes it back from Vegas okay. Maybe you'll become like a card shark or something, dude. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Las Vegas is where my destiny is. So we'll find that out. I like Las Vegas, man. I, I've always dug Vegas. I've been there a lot on shows and stuff, obviously. It's a fun you know, town. A, you know, I'm a food guy. I'm going to be looking forward to the buffets. That's where I'm going to be hanging out. So. There's a lot of buffets. I'll tell you what, the first time I went out there on a gig, I was doing the Latin Grammys, and I'd never been to a casino buffet before. And I was like, you mean it's all you can eat, king crab legs? And oh. I, I ate like five plates of them, and I turned red. I turned bright red <laughs> and had an allergic reaction, you know? There you go. Well, so, all in good fun. <laughs> right on. Well, have fun, Jimmy. It's good to see you again, brother. Hang in there. I know it's tough times, you know, with the... Uh, with the world and stuff, but you know, you're, you're born to enjoy yourself and, and every moment has everything you need in it. So whenever your head gets too caught up in the news and the down stuff, just breathe, man. Just check in with yourself. Everything you need is already inside you. You just got to access it, dude. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And once you help others, the less you worry about yourself. So. Bingo, man. Just go out and be nice and kind to anybody <laughs> or anything you see and you'll never go wrong, dude. So thanks for listening, everybody. Episode 99 is in the books. Noel Kassler podcast. You can find me online. Check out my sub stack. Jimmy's got his own show. It's called JBK On Air. Where can they find you, Jimmy? Uh, at JBK On Air on all social media pages. Uh, and from there, you can get my link tree. All the stuff right there. There you go. So media mogul, JKLL. <laughs> Ladies love Jimmy Kennedy. All right, brother. I'll see you next time or whenever we do this again, all right? Let's do it. All right, All right. Take care. All right brother. Bye.